Okay, you have any questions about anything uh, up to this point? <clears throat> I know we've done a lot of uh, bouncing back, back and forth with uh, different teachers, but uh, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have, uh, hearing these other guys like David and Mark and Paul teach. And uh, it's always good for a, little, a breath of fresh air for me to be able to sit and listen to someone else uh, teach. And particularly let them do a little bit of the studying. Uh, it's always helpful too. So any questions about anything that we've covered up to this point? We don't have a lot of weeks left. Uh, this week we're doing uh, spiritual gifts. Next week is slated to be spiritual gifts. Um, we'll probably use both of those weeks. I wasn't sure that we would. I do want to alert you to something that... Um, No one is um, infallible when it comes to whether they're writing a commentary or whether they're writing a systematic theology. And uh, Wayne Grudem is not uh, beyond criticism on some things. Uh, they're minimal as far as the number. You know, we've, uh, there's a couple places where I felt like uh, I, I don't agree with Wayne and I think we've tried to draw those things out. Uh, I don't want you to hear it as criticism. There's room for variance inter interpretation on some things. Spiritual gifts is one of those where I don't see eye to eye with, with Wayne. And, and a lot of people probably um, that you would lend your ear to would not see things the same way he does too. He is, um, and we'll get into this more next week, but I'll throw it out there now for you to think about. Continuationism and cessationism. Anybody want to give us a shot at a definition for those? I imagine cessationism is the is that gifts are certain gifts are no longer present uh, in today's church age. That's right. That maybe I will say certain. Uh, gifts of the Spirit um, no longer in use. Sword pass. Uh, healings. Uh, a healer. Uh, Paul apparently had the gift of healing. We see in the New Testament where people were anxious just to get close to Paul and they, were, they had their bodies were healed. Uh, speaking in tongues, the, uh, my understanding of speaking in tongues according to the New Testament is what we see in the book of Acts where uh, you have people who had different languages, different backgrounds that were together and when the uh, disciples got up and spoke the gospel, each person heard the gospel in their own language. That was God facilitating in a supernatural way the communication of the gospel through people by allowing them to speak in languages <laughs> known to man that they hadn't studied or prepared to speak in. Um, um, revelatory gifts. These are things that have facilitated the writing of Scripture, inspiration of Scripture, um, people uh, understanding truth from God, new truth from God. 
there's kind of an old uh, adage that's been around a while. Uh, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Uh, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the Word of God, uh, continuationism are those that that would say that all the gifts are still in continuing use, that all of these gifts still persist. I'm not concerned about speaking in tongues. That's kind of, that's one of those gifts that's pretty obvious when you're around it, uh, that a lot of what we know is speaking in tongues that you may see on television with some televangelists is clearly fraudulent. It, it doesn't fit the description of scripture in any way, fashion, or form. It's more self-edifying for the person involved. It's not God-exalting. Uh, it's not communicating the gospel to someone in another language. It's, it's all about self-exaltation. It's about making interpretation. Huh? There's usually no interpretation. There's usually no interpretation, but even if there is, I mean, you know, I heard uh, someone say, talking about someone who was speaking in tongues for like two days straight, and I said, well, that right there tells you it's not biblical because they're not allowing any room for interpretation. But even that, the way that you look at speaking of tongues as it existed in the age of the apostles, uh, there wasn't any need for interpretation because the people who needed to hear it were hearing it in their language. And so it was a communicated thing, not, not all the stuff that we see today. All right? Continuation... These people believe that all the gifts are still in fact and that you could have the gift of healing, you could have uh, the gift of tongues, you could have you know, any gift that, that uh, is in the New Testament, uh, miracles, those kind of things, that you could still be doing those, that they're just as active today as they were then. That's fine. You know, those things kind of stand their own test. In other words, I had a guy uh, in Oklahoma a few years ago that called me up and uh, he said, Pastor, I need to meet with you. And I said, okay. So we met on a Saturday morning at the office, and he came in. I didn't know what was going on. And he said, uh, he, he came in, and I said, so, DJ, what's, uh, what's the issue? What, what's going on? He said, well, I just wanted to share with you. I think I have the gift of healing. And I said, okay, why are you here? And he said, what? And I said, why are you at the hospital? I mean, you ought to be over there healing people if you've got this gift of healing, right? Why are you here wasting time talking to me? And, and the point I was making, he thought I was making fun of him, and I guess I was in, in kind of a way, but God doesn't call healers. That doesn't mean that God can't heal and doesn't heal and wouldn't perform a miracle of healing. But he doesn't, he doesn't have people that have this gift called healing that they're out conducting healing. Even Jesus himself didn't heal every, law, every sick person he ever encountered. Uh, when he encountered all of the lame people at the uh, pool of Bethesda, he only healed one that we know of. And there could have been, there could have been hundreds laying out there from what the scholars and the, the historians tell us, that that was a gathering point. They were all waiting for the waters to stir. And Jesus picked one and healed him. So that's not of primary urgency uh, when it comes uh, to the Lord. A lot of these things... These gifts that we see being amplified, these miraculous gifts, are about making life in this life, this world, better rather than exalting the kingdom of God. And I think that's a, a clear place where you can draw a line. 
continuationism versus uh, cessationism. What I believe is that I believe these miraculous gifts have ceased. But I'm also of the belief that God can do whatever God wants to do in any particular time or any particular place. So if he wants or needs one of these gifts to manifest something of importance in his kingdom's work, he's free to do that. But according to what the scripture says, I'm of the belief that as a rule, they've stopped. Because why did God, why did we see these miraculous gifts in the days of the apostles to begin with? What was the purpose? Was it to heal people? Was it to cure the lame, the blind? Was it to... Um, to communicate the gospel, yeah, that was purpose. But what was the main reason for these things? Bring glorification. Glorification to God, but validation. Validation. For the apostles. That's right, for the apostles. When you look through the course of history, there have been three times where we had supernatural miracles being manifested. In the days of Moses and Joshua, the days of Elijah and Elisha, and the days of Jesus and the apostles. These times were times where God was, was authenticating what he was doing through people, and he did it through supernatural miracles that could not be duplicated. You'll remember when Moses came into Pharaoh, and God told him to throw the staff down. And when he did, the magicians that worked for Pharaoh were able to replicate that in a certain way. God said, okay, you want to play that game? Try this one on for size. You know, I'm going to turn the river to blood. I'm going to fill the skies with locusts. I'm going to fill your houses with frogs. I'm going to take your firstborn. Let's see how your magicians do with that. And they didn't, did they? Okay? It was, it was authentic, authentication, <laughs> validation of who God was and what God was doing. All right? So the purpose we're using these things for today or what you see going on today is self-exaltation. People who walk in some of these gifts and, and manifest them or claim they're manifesting them are doing this in an attempt to make themselves look more spiritual. You know, um, There's some stuff I just found out today. There's some things going on up here in North Georgia. I don't know if some of you may have heard about it where you've got uh, baptisms with water and, and the spirit, the fire going on and supposedly people being healed and stuff like that. But what you find in every one of those situations is they're taking people that you can't really affirm whether there was a healing that took place or not. Someone comes in with a limp. Someone claims they've got a limb that's shorter than the other one. But you're not seeing the blind get their sight back. You're not seeing the deaf get their hearing back. You're not seeing somebody with, with no legs get up and walk again. Those would rise to the level of what we saw in the New Testament. What you're seeing is man manipulating other men uh, in these things. So the point being that uh, Grudem tends to, to side on this side, which I would quibble with. Now, that's not reason to throw out his stuff. He, he's got friends on both sides of the aisle. He believes, and this is the one that's really the problem, he believes that there is a form of prophecy that still exists today. All right? In other words, there's individual prophecy that takes place. For instance, if uh, I run into Bob out in the hallway and I may sense 
that God wants me to share something with Bob, and I go over and share with him a word from the Lord. Bob, God's telling me that you've got this going on in your life, and I just want to, okay? That's what he's talking about, and he's, he's claiming that that's a form of prophecy. What I would say, this goes on a lot in a lot of denominations, is that God has impressed me or has, has uh, encouraged me to say something to Bob. But, my, but as far as re new revelation from God through me to Bob, I never sense that. I never expect that. I never claim that. I, in fact, might use a verse from the Scripture and say, you know, here's a verse that God's put on my heart, and he's been speaking to me in recent days. I've been meditating on it, and it might be good in your situation to do that. That's being impressed by the Spirit of God to be reaching out and encouraging the brethren in the gospel. But his is nuanced and goes a little bit further than that. Okay? So, I would encourage you to forget the next chapter. Okay? So this second chapter on spiritual gifts. If you haven't read it already, skip over it. Listen to what I got to say to you next week. All right? Uh, if you want to read a better take on it, you could read, uh, you could read uh, Mallard Erickson's uh, Christian Theology. Uh, he's got a chapter that, that is pretty, pretty straightforward and it's good. Uh, MacArthur and Mayhew uh, have uh, Bible doctrine. You know, again, a, a one-volume. Um, and you could probably find articles on this. In fact, I may put a bibliography together for you with some articles and stuff that you could look up on your own. I've got a couple of things I'm going to hand out to you. In fact, could you go ahead and hand that out? This is an interview that Tim Chalice did with, um, uh, with Grudem about, I believe it's 2005. So it's after the systematic theology was written. And I want you to hear, Wayne Grudem is a super guy, a sweet guy. He loves the Lord. Um, this is not any kind, this is not uh, a top priority issue, okay? I would, I would feel comfortable fellowshipping with Wayne in a church. I would feel comfortable sitting under Wayne while he taught. We're just going to disagree on whether the spiritual gifts have ceased or whether they're continuing in their, their form from the New Testament. I would disagree with him on that. So that's all I want to say about that, not wasting more time on it. We'll move toward it. We'll talk more about it next week. The interview is actually two parts, so don't get confused. You've got two pages that look similar, like the first page, but that's just part two. So uh, it goes all the way through, and it's not, a, it's not a hard read. There are few areas of doctrine that are more controversial or confused in the church today than that of spiritual gifts. Uh, it was true in the first century when Paul was writing to the uh, believers at Corinth, uh, which explains why he addressed the issue so thoroughly in chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, though they can be and are abused, even counterfeited, spiritual gifts, charismata, play a vital role in the body of Christ since each member uniquely contributes to the edification of the whole. It's critical to understand what God's Word teaches about the nature and exercise of spiritual gifts. That comes straight from MacArthur and Mayhew's biblical doctrine. Christ has given gifts to the church. Uh, Ephesians 4 tells us that He's given men to the church 
who have the responsibility of teaching and equipping the church. He's given the apostles and the prophets, and he gives pastors and evangelists, teachers, to the church. Ephesians 4, he's given apostles, he's given prophets, he's given pastors, this is all the same word, these are synonyms, elders, teachers, and he's given evangelists. So these are gifts for the church, for the, for the undergirding, for the equipping of the church. Equipping believers. That's, that's my number one function. That is my most uh, urgent thing that I do each and every week. The time I have with you in here on Wednesday night, the time I have on Sunday morning, God is holding me responsible for that, that I have a responsibility to equip you in the things of God so that you'll be, be fit for his use, that you'll be growing up and becoming stronger so that he can use you according to his purposes. That is, that is elder pastor's responsibility for the congregation as their shepherd, first and foremost. Everything else is secondary to that. I know that turns it up on its head for a lot of people in the traditional concept and even the uh, job descriptions that we've formulated through the years, which is ridiculous because the scripture gives a clear job description for the pastor's elders, and that's equip the body. Equip the body. Teach them the word of God. Equip the body. The apostles give us insight into that in Acts chapter 6 where the dispute broke out that their, the widows were not being taken care of. And the apostles said, look, it's not, uh, we don't have time or, or the calling to deal with these kind of disputes. Y'all choose out from among you six men filled with the Spirit and let them handle this. Let them, let them feed the widows and the orphans. Let them take charge of this and take care of the everyday stuff going on and we will devote ourselves to what? To prayer and to the study of God's word that we might equip the body. I mean, and you know, we'd be reminded thousands of people were coming to Christ at, at that time and, and the church was swamped. So they had their hands full trying to disciple, trying to equip people for ministry and for the continuation of evangelism. And so that's where, it doesn't call them deacons there, but you can see that the pattern is set in motion for later when Paul then sets the offices for the church as elders, the teaching, the teaching arm, and deacons, the ministering arm of leadership in the church. They work in concert together. The elders are given responsibility for the congregation as the shepherds. The deacons are their helpmates to come alongside them to help take care of the things that are going on in the body. Easy enough, right? Simple enough, straightforward. Christ has given these gifts to the church in the form of gifted men to equip the saints. And Christ has placed gifts in those believers through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when someone is regenerated by the Spirit of God, Jesus said, 
I'm going to send another just like myself, who is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who is going to come. He's going to indwell you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. He will dwell in you. And when the Holy Spirit moves in, he comes with luggage. And that luggage, as far as the believer is concerned, is a gift or gifts, and a supernatural enablement that God has placed within you to strengthen God's advancement of the kingdom and to minister to the rest of the body in concert with the deacons. You see how this is all starting to fit together? Ephesians 4 gives this picture, and it says that the pastors and elders, and why it falls here is that apostles and prophets are no longer on the scene. They went away. When John was on the Isle of Patmos, you know, John was the youngest disciple of Jesus, so most people believe he was the last one to die, being at the end of the first century probably on the Isle of Patmos, that he was the last apostle left. And after he died, after he was gone, there were no more apostles. And I don't care who puts it in front of their name today, they're not apostles. Apostles had to be eyewitnesses to the resurrected body of Christ other than the apostle Paul. It's the only one that was different. And Jesus had some special revelation where he revealed himself to Paul that's clear from Scripture. So those are the only apostles. And they were trusted, just like the prophets in the Old Testament, with giving us what? The Word of God. They wrote down. So they're no longer around us physically, but now we have the culmination of the work that God did through them in the form of the Word of God. So our job then is to equip. Evangelists help spur the church on to evangelism, to, to <coughs> drawing people into the kingdom of God. And then pastors and elders, teachers, have the responsibility of equipping them for serving in the body and ministering to each other. The gifts that God places within us then enable us to minister one to another. If you've got the gift, uh, a gift of uh, a supernatural capacity in you for encouragement or exhortation or even teaching in a fashion form or nurturing or administering or serving and helping these are all things that the scripture has identified as special ways that God equips people, gives them a special calling, capacity to strengthen the work that he's doing among us and through us. Okay? I'll open that. I think it'll get the handle. Get a little stuffy in here, y'all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was getting that. Know about you, but I can handle a little more noise if the air's flowing. Yeah, that wouldn't hurt if it's cool off outside. I was fine. <laughs> Why are we not surprised? Everybody in here is fanning and sweating. Linda says, I'm fine. Okay, so you get a picture of that, right? What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, this is Jerry's definition. A spiritual gift is a supernatural enablement or capacity, a capacity that God places in us through the Spirit. Now what that means is that that capacity needs to be developed. That capacity may need to be strengthened or, or developed in some way. All right? For instance, I was saved at the age of seven. All right? 
One of my spiritual gifts is teaching. At the age of seven, I couldn't teach. I had the spiritual gift because what the Bible says, the Holy Spirit moved inside of me. I now have this spiritual gift of teaching, but it wasn't developed. And still, even today, I continue to work to develop and hone the gift, the capacity that God's placed in me uh, to, to use this uh, to strengthen the body. So every spiritual gift is a supernatural enablement. It's a, uh, a gift, a capacity that God places within us in a regenerate Christ follower, someone who's truly been born again, because you've got to have that in order to have the Spirit living in you, right? Mm -hmm. In order to edify God's people, that is to build up the people of God and advance the kingdom of God. So the gifts that you have within you, God has placed there for the benefit of the whole body. Just like in your physical body, he's given you two lungs and not one lung. If you only had one lung, you wouldn't breathe so well, would you? And if you don't breathe so well, you don't have much endurance, you don't have much strength, you know, it has an impact upon you. Years ago, I had a good friend in ministry. Uh, in fact, Brian Smith grew up in Mark Quartz's church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mark was uh, the essence of health. And... Um, played tennis all the time, he was in shape, and, and he had a massive heart attack uh, out of the blue. And I mean, it almost killed him. And, uh, but when they finally got him straightened out and Mark got back on his feet, he maxed out at 35% of his heart's capacity. That's all he had left. Uh, I watched this man who was so virile and in shape playing tennis and doing things suddenly have to go up a step at a time and stop and rest as he went up you know so when these parts of the body are not working our body knows it and feels it same thing's true in the church when when there's part of the you know we as christians we've boasted even or laughed about our churches well 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work well that is uh, an anemic body <coughs> when that's going on when you don't have all the body doing what it's supposed to be, you don't have a healthy body. You can't be healthy any more than Mark was at 35% heart capacity working. God's people to advance God's kingdom. Spiritual gifts are not limited to a select group of Christians. All believers have a spiritual gift or even more than one spiritual gift or supernatural enablement. Spiritual gifts, as spiritual gifts uniquely equip each believer to minister to the corporate body of Christ, the resulting way in which those in the church edify each other testifies effectively to God's power before a watching world. In other words, as we're using our gifts and ministering one to the other and even outside the body, it becomes a testimony to the watching world around us that something's going on here. This is how God reflects His glory shows his greatness to the world. It causes curiosity. They're going, that doesn't make sense logically from a human perspective. When believers exercise their giftedness, they also exhibit Christ-like behavior. As God incarnate, the Lord Jesus possessed these qualities in perfect completeness. Believers put him on display as they employ these gifts for the sake of his body, the church, through the power of the Spirit. Now, the primary Greek word that's associated with the spiritual gifts is charisma. It means gift of grace. It's used almost exclusively in the New Testament to designate a gift given freely by God, including the gift of salvation. Now, where we get charisma? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly where it comes from. Uh, charismatics would say that, you know, it's, these gifts are unbridled. They're controlled by God and they're overflowing. We believe that the difference there is that what we see sometimes in the charismatic vein of Christianity or faith is we see stereotypes of what the gifts were designed to be in Scripture and what they should be in the church today. Remember, the key thing is that they're always under the control of the Spirit of God. So, if you do something, <clears throat> we talked about snake handling the other day, we won't revisit that one. But, you know, we've had a joke, some of you may have been in one of these churches where they're really free with their worship. Uh, I was in a couple of meetings a time or two, uh, conferences, where these kind of things were encouraged, and I remember people getting up out of their seat, getting, you know, very vocal right where they were because of the music, because of the preaching or something, and then taking off and running through the church while they're yelling, okay? I don't really see how that exalts God or edifies the believers. I guess you could say it might rev up the believers, you know, if they saw that, they might get excited when they saw it, but mainly it just generated a lot of laughter. And so I'm thinking people are looking at someone and going, that guy's acting foolish. Because that's what it appeared. It didn't have any real purpose other than that. Okay? It wasn't, it wasn't a display of, of uh, lifting holy hands up before God. You know? Uh, it, it wasn't anything that seemed to be exalting to God. It seemed to be more of a display. I went years ago. I'm going to, moment of confession. I've turned the recorder off. <laughs> <laughs> back more than 30 years ago probably 35 years ago I went to a Jimmy Swarbrick weekend um, Brother Jim. <laughs> and I went because of the music more than anything else he had Janet uh, Pascal was on his program and John Starn some of you may remember those people they could really sing but um when they were doing their thing, and I was sitting kind of in, the zoom, in a big arena, and I was sitting kind of on the side, so the stage was up here, but there were chairs on the floor. And I was watching people, and, and there was one guy sitting out there right in front of me that when he felt the spirit, he got up and he did a little dance. And he did the same dance every time he got up in the same spot in the same way. And this went on for the whole night, you know, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was. Now, I don't know, that was probably my first thought when I really started examining some of these things and thinking, you know, is that really a move of the Spirit or is that just me feeling good, liking where I am and just trying to express that, you know, like I would at a ball game, standing up and cheering or yelling or whatever I'm doing. For me, I, I kind of landed on the second one. Uh, you're, you're right on real, real, real fast I'll, I'll, I'll second that uh, when I was in Toronto one time about 18 years ago I stopped by John Evanzini's mega church and he was one of the original counterfeit revival word of faith guys that popped up about that time holy laughter and holy and I, dog barking and so, so he was he was one of the big big guys in that and I saw all of it yeah. and it was creepy yeah 
It wasn't entertaining. It was flat out creepy. The Spirit will bear witness in the heart of a, a genuine believer when you see things like that. Here's my theory. That I want us, as even as a church, I believe in freedom of expression and worship. I do. If God leads you to say amen, you should say amen. If God leads you to lift your hands uh, in worship to God, then by all means you should lift your hands to God. If God leads you to sit down and go into a spirit of prayer, you should do that. And I believe that if it's of God, nobody else will notice. But if it's not of God, everybody will notice and, and be bothered by it, or most will be. Um, I think that we have to recognize that the Spirit is there not only to enable us maybe to be expressive in our worship of God, but also to recognize when there's counterfeit or, you know, fake stuff going on. Um, so, yes, charisma is where that comes from. It's used almost exclusively, as I said, in the New Testament to designate a gift given freely by God, including the gift of salvation in Romans 5 and 6. It refers to the undeserved blessings from God and divine enablements for ministry because God bestows these gifts on believers by His grace. So these enablements cannot be learned, earned, or manufactured. They're given as grace gifts according to His divine will. So if you can't earn it, learn it, or manipulate it, you also can't choose what you get if it's a gift, right? And this goes back to what Paul's talking about when he's writing to the Corinthians. This thing was a mess in Corinth, you know, because they were, um, they were engaged in huge stereotypes. Uh, they, were, they were overdoing it, and they were manipulating it. And Paul was writing, them, writing to them and taking them to task on this and saying, look, you know, you're, you're misusing the gifts that God's given. You've got the wrong purpose and focus in mind. These things are to minister to the body, not showmanship before the body. And that's what they become. And when you get into the counterfeit things, that's what you get. What's going on from what I've understood about uh, up in Dawsonville and, and some of the surrounding area is that those things have turned into a, a, a big display. You know, they're being streamed live from the church. People are flocking, can't get into the church. And so they're sitting down outside watching them on streaming. And, and it's not real. It's not real. Um, number one, and I can say this with, uh, with, and be adamant about it, it's not real because they have corrupted the definition of baptism as given by Scripture. Okay? And so, therefore, I can say unequivocally that it's not from God. And I don't even have to go and look at it. Those are the two things you can see. You, most of the time, if you view carefully what's going on, you hold it up against Scripture and you find out that there are a lot of liberties being taken um, that just don't fit. Uh, you'll see it on TV. You see the guys, whether it's Benny Hinn or, or Ernest Angley or uh, whomever it may be, you know, with the things they do, they're, it's always controlled. What you see on the screen when somebody comes out and gets healed, there'll be a hundred people behind them that have real issues that they're not bringing out and doing anything with because it doesn't fit the agenda. Okay, moving along. 
Believers should be grateful and faithful with whatever gifts God gives. Another important Greek term is pneumatikos, which means pertaining to the Spirit. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, and it means spirituals or spiritualities. <clears throat> he says, now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritualities, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul says it is something we should talk about. It's something we should study. There are about seven lists of gifts uh, in Scripture. And uh, so it's something that is prominent and it's something that's important in the church. But, under, but understanding it correctly according to the Scripture is what's important and not going off um, in another direction. Specifically, it refers to that which has spiritual characteristics or is under spiritual control. Now, spiritual gifts are not talents. What's the difference between a spiritual gift and a talent? A talent is a natural aptitude for something. You may have a talent for music, you know, for singing. You may have a talent for art. You may have just a natural giftedness to draw, you know, you're pretty good at that. Some of us can't even draw stick figures. And then some people, like my middle daughter, can, you know, just amaze you with some of the things that they can do. She has an aptitude for that. It's not a spiritual gift. But God has designed us so that he can use our talents to manifest the spiritual gifts in and through. Okay? For instance, uh, I'll pick on Elijah. Elijah's got an incredible talent for the piano. Okay? Everybody loves to hear Elijah rip through the piano. Okay? What we have to be careful of is that Elijah, this is not a performance. Okay? You have a talent, but you also have a gift in you. And that gift, I don't know what it is, but that gift, for instance, could be encouragement. God could have given him a supernatural capacity for encouragement. He may use that gift through his talent by playing the piano and it become an encouragement to the people of God, okay? But if it's just a performance, if we just want to stand up and clap, then we've missed the mark. You know, then it becomes very humanistic and manipulative. Yes. And it's a very hard fence to navigate because when we who sit in the, in the pews, when we're listening to those things, it's tempting for us to miss the spiritual side and focus on the physical side, okay, the talent, and be amazed by that. But we need to train and equip ourselves to think about it differently, that when someone's up there singing, when someone's up there playing, or someone's doing their artwork as a believer, we want to encourage them that they let the, the spiritual gift that God has put within them work through their talent, okay? To use their talent and to do spiritual work with it, not just entertain us. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, talents are natural aptitudes that a person possesses, develops, singing, art, handicraft, engineering, Paul, writing, any of these things can be, uh, can, you can have an aptitude for teaching and it not be a spiritual gift unless you surrender it to the Spirit's control. Okay, so you can do that in a secular environment like in school, you know, where you're teaching kids math and things like that and say, Lord, 
you know, I've got this aptitude, this talent for doing these things, and I want it to be surrendered to you as a spiritual gift that you might use it in some way to advance your kingdom and to edify the body. Now, granted, you're working with kids that may be lost. So you say, well, how does that edify the body? Well, it strengthens you. It strengthens and encourages you, which then translates to the rest of the body, making the body strong, stronger. There is uh, some overlap. Aptitude for teaching, as I said, and spiritual gift for teaching can coexist. Spiritual gifts are placed in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit at regeneration. Like aptitude, spiritual gifts may need development uh, where you strengthen what you have. You, you seek to get better at it. Uh, a singer, a musician, art, artisan, engineer, talents can be amplified by spiritual gifts. I've said that. Spiritual gift of service through singing, playing, creating, building, etc. Believers are uniquely gifted. Diversity produces wholeness in the body. So we need all the parts of the body being used by God to make us truly whole and powerful uh, according to His control. Variety of gifts in each assembly to accomplish what God calls the church to do. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was, uh, when I was in Oklahoma, Eagle Heights, we had... Uh, we did a, uh, a spiritual gifts inventory. We'll talk about those two in a few minutes. A spiritual gifts inventory is uh, a way of uh, assessing, you know, take through questions. It's not perfect. It's, I don't even know how. Uh, it is helpful, but it's probably not as helpful as we want to think it is. But it, it's an uh, a, a assessment through questionnaires. You, you complete answers, and when you get through, it kind of tells you or indicates how you're wired, you know, how you, where your strengths may be. And so we would say you may find out that you have the gift of, you know, evangelism, okay? Uh, you may find out you've got two or three gifts up here, and then you've got three or four down here, and then maybe some down here at the bottom that don't even register. So you've got two or three up here that you know you've got kind of a gifting or a bent in those directions at the very least. Well, we did this with our whole body on a Sunday night. We fed them, and then we did this. I don't know. There were about 175 people that took this, this inventory. And, and it was one of the strangest feelings I've ever had when we got the results for all those. You know what we discovered? 65%, 65% of the people out of that 175, which represented by far our core group, 65% of them had administration as their number one gift. I wanted to pack my bags and run. You know, because you know what administrators are, right? Chiefs. You got six out of every ten people, six and a half out of every ten people in the church want to be the chief. You got to have somebody that's going to follow, right? And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Yes, it's a university town, 60% of the population in the surrounding area is connected to the university. So, yeah, I get why it would be that way. But, Lord, why? 60, this is going to be a nightmare. But you know what happened? We're meeting in three locations. We have an office in a, a strip mall. We, have, um, we meet on Sundays in the, in the local junior high using their gymnasium and their hallways. I mean, we, had, we didn't have classrooms in the, in the school. We used the hallways. They wouldn't let us use the classrooms, so we had to set up freestanding dividers and chairs 
in the hallways to kind of make classrooms. And Wednesday nights, we met in the uh, old high school, which had been converted to a community center. And again, we had, everywhere we went, we had to set up. We had a soundboard, a major soundboard, and chairs on racks, on wheels, in a, in a covered cart that we pulled behind a truck. So we were, we were a mobile church. You get the picture? We didn't do anything without having set up. I had people in, we had people in there who were college deans, who were, uh, you know, worked on the staff at the, uh, at the governor's office. We had people that, I mean, we had people that were doing, uh, these were white collar jobs, a lot of them. And yet, you know what happened? This went on for five years. We set up every time we met and these people would set up and when it was over with, they would tear down. You'd have people coming in on Sunday morning that, you know, Monday through Friday was the college dean over here at the agricultural uh, school at the university. And everybody said, yes, sir. And on Sunday morning, he showed up in his blue jeans and his sweatshirt, and he helped set up and tear down and, and repack and do all those things. The only way that we survived those five years of being a mobile church was because we had an abundance of administrators. Those people knew how to get things done. And that was a huge lesson for me as I began to watch this thing unfold and say, if we had 10% administrators, we'd have never got there. We'd have just never gotten there. If we'd have had 90% of the people that wanted to be followers, we'd have been in trouble. We needed people that could take over different areas and get it done and weren't afraid to get their hands dirty at the same time. So they were unique in some respects, but... God uses a variety of gifts to accomplish what work he's given to the church. I dare say that that church now has been in their building. We moved in a year before I came here. So they've been in their building now 16, 17 years. And I bet you that the makeup of the congregation has changed in the giftedness. That probably don't have six and a half out of every ten people being administrators anymore. And the key is that God puts in the church what he needs. God puts there what he needs. That's why you hear us talk about, you know, if God leads you to this church, if God brings you to this church, we want you to be here. I don't want you to come because I've convinced you this is where you need to come or because you like your Sunday school teacher or this, that, and the other. We want you to follow God's leadership. And if you leave, it should be the same thing. You should be leaving because God's leading you somewhere else. And I don't think he does a lot of musical chairs that way. So... Uh, a lot of people don't seek God's leadership because they don't want that kind of restriction on, but that's another discussion for another time. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not self edification, not self exaltation. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not self edification. The purpose of gifts is the edification of others. That God will use my gifts. You know, what do we hear very often in church? Well, I would do that, but you know what? I just need a break. I just need some time for me. There's nothing biblical about that. Nowhere. That's not even in the Book of Mormon. You know, that's self-serving. That's me being God, being the idol of my own life, sitting upon the throne. I need to do what's good for me. He's very clear about that. He's Lord. He's Master. Our job is to say, where, Lord? How, Lord? Yes, Lord. And to do that. Spiritual gifts are for the benefit of others. So if I say, you know what? I'm going to take a year off. I need a year off. 
I've heard that one a lot. I just need, I probably need to take a year off, Pastor. And I say, so you're going to cripple the body because you need some time off. Maybe, maybe you ought to quit going to so many ball games and on so many trips and stay put for a while where you can do what God's called you to do. Oh, that'd be wrong, wouldn't it? I'd probably get fired if I said something like that. Well, bless Jesus. Maybe we just need to get fired. The purpose of spiritual gifts is the edification of others. It's the health of the church. It's the advancement of God's kingdom. It's not for you and your self-promotion or your pleasure. Doesn't that change everything? I'm, I'm at the beck and call of my boss at work. I'm at the beck and call of people in my life, my family. Why am I not the beck and call of God? We've lost that in our churches today. We're, we don't think that way now. We, we're just like the world. We don't think any differently than they do. We might even be more dangerous because we think everything's good for us because God loves us. And so we presume upon His goodness even more. All right. Discovering spiritual gifts. How do you know what gift or gifts you possess? There's lots of things that a lot of people use. Personality tests. How many of you ever taken an Enneagram? You know what that is? It's like a, it's a personality assessment um, where you find out, you know, how you're, how you're wired, you know, how your, your moods are and all those kind of things. Uh, you can take a spiritual gifts inventory. I mentioned that earlier. I don't want to give you the wrong impression here. Spiritual gifts inventories can be helpful, but they're not inspired. They're not a they're not um, scripture. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with them. <coughs> and the reason is because they're not inspired of God. They are um, they're limited at best, and they have their origin in psychology. You know, in secular psychology, philosophy, those kind of things. Um, and so anytime you're trying to do more self-analysis, you can run amok, right? You get that. But they can be helpful if you use them as maybe a starting point. What I like to tell people is, and you can get over, you can get over-consumed with them, you know? Well... I took my spiritual gifts. Have you taken your inventory? What are your spiritual gifts, James? <laughs> I bet mine are better than yours, you know? We start doing just like the Corinthians were doing. You know, we start one-upping each other. Well, I've got three gifts. How many have you got? Um, that's the wrong purpose for them. We, we want to discover what they are so that we can be a better steward of what God's called us to do. I say you can use them, but this needs to be like a formula. You need a formula in place if you want to know how, how am I gifted? What, what has God equipped me to do in the body? A spiritual gift inventory is not going to hurt you. Okay? It may help you. The next thing you need is uh, personal passion. What am I passionate about? So if I take a spiritual gift inventory and I find out that, you know, I have... Three that always, no matter how many times I take one of these, three things always show up at the top of the list for me. Teaching, evangelism, 
situation. Every time. So they group those three things at the top, then there's a space, and then all the others are in here. Giving, serving, serving, exhorting, encouraging. I mean, you know, I don't know that any of these lists are intended to be exhaustive in Scripture. Faith, you know, all those things. And then there's another gap, and down here at the bottom is mercy. Maybe you get a zero on that. Now, I've told you this story about the church down in eastern Georgia that they were stunned when, they, when I said that. I admitted that. I made the mistake of admitting it to them. I thought I was going to get run out of town. How can you be a pastor and not have mercy? I said, I didn't say I didn't know how to give mercy or be merciful. I said, I don't have it as a spiritual gift. There's a difference. I've been around long enough, and I, I like to think I'm not stupid, so I, I, know, I know I've experienced enough life to know what it means to be merciful and how to give mercy to people. But I don't have it as a spiritual gift. I had a lady years ago in a church. This woman oozed mercy. I could walk in. She was a, she was a teller, a personal banker at the bank. She was our treasurer. I could walk in on Monday morning. We always had a little meeting up at the bank, and I'd go in and say, I would do yesterday, and what do we need to pay this week, and that stuff. And I could walk in and say, Lois, I just saw a kid stump their toe down there on the sidewalk. She'd bust out in tears. She'd want to get up and go and minister to them. That's just the way she was wired. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? You know? Do you get your spiritual gifts? You know, they, they get, but how am I wired? What kind of passions do I have in my life? Okay? These things can be passions for me. This can be a passion for me. But it doesn't rank on that. So I start looking at what do I what do I want to do? Teaching, you know, this is this is a big passion. Evangelism is a passion for me. Administration is not. It's not. It's a gift. But what is administration? Administration means that, you know, when you see something that needs to be done, you can get your hand around how it needs to be carried out, executed, right? That's administration, how to get from A to G. And you don't necessarily have to do it yourself. That's right. You can delegate. That's right. But I can see how it needs to be done, so that, that makes me a good meddler, you know, as I can look <laughs> in your life and say, well, here's what you need to do. You need to do A, B, C, D, and E. All right? Personal passion experience can't devalue experience you know what have I learned through the experiences of my life maybe I, I went down and I for me my first job in ministry many many years ago was an associate pastor for education and youth <laughs> worst three years of my life was being responsible for youth <laughs> I love them. I get along with them fine. I just don't want to be a youth pastor. Okay? That experience taught me something. Nobody that's ever crossed, uh, showed up at my door and said, hey, we, we're looking for a youth pastor. <laughs> Slam the door. <laughs> What'd you do that for? It's not of God. How do you know that? I have experience. I have this experience that's taught me that. I've learned that. So I don't have to duplicate that bad experience. I've also had good experiences in other ways. 
So this is a formula. I'm adding these things together. My experience, my passion, my spiritual gift inventory, and then I'm looking at the assessment of faithful believers. Okay? What do other people see in me? You know, when I, when I use my gift, are people being edified? You know, if I'm doing something, you know, listen, if, if I were just doing mercy all the time, you would not be edified. You'd not be, the church would not be being built up. Okay? But if I'm using my gift according to God, my experience has taught me that that's, these are my gifts. My passion fits. The spiritual gifts inventory confirms it. And the assessment of faithful believers confirms it as well. I got a pretty good idea that these are the ways that God's wired me and made me to work in the, in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And each one of us has got to do that. And it, and it takes working that formula, I think, to get a, a good sense of that. Um, I think that's about that. That's it. Question? Yes, sir? Is the gift of faith the gift of saving faith? Well, faith is a gift. But it's given to us at regeneration. Yeah. I mean, I, I think faith, uh, there's, there's different kinds of faith. There is saving faith that God gives us. We, we can't come to him unless he gives us faith. He right. calls us he gives us faith to believe in. Uh, but faith is also something that uh, continues to add to our sanctification. That without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. So everyone has the gift of faith. Saving faith if you're a believer, yeah. But what about this gift? What gift? The gift of faith, which you just mentioned. Is okay, well, if you have a gift of faith, that means that, you know, if, if we came in, okay, we're getting ready to say, we're talking about renovating the building. Okay? People will say, well, I just don't know. You know, is that really the best use of the money? Is that the best use of what we're going to do, our energies? Do we really need to do that? They start asking all these questions. I never have those questions for the most part. You know, I just have faith. I've got a good friend who has a ministry. And he's, he's really upset right now because he, has, he works in international area and, and the guy that was his director for years has been lying to him on some stuff. And so he's really upset because I support his ministry. So he's thinking, I got people supporting my ministry and I'm responsible to you and now I'm going to find out that what's been going on over here hasn't been legit or hasn't been up to, to my expectations. So how do you feel about that? And I said, look, it's not my problem. I'm giving to you out of obedience and in faith because God's given to me and told me to do this, instructed me to do this. What you do with it is now your responsibility to God. I have faith that you're going to do the right thing. Now, if you show me that you're being you know, dishonest with it yourself, then I'm probably going to look for somewhere else. But I don't have any problem believing that. I don't have any problem believing that we're going to have the resources we need uh, each week. 
it may be uncomfortable for some who say, well, you know, our giving's down and this is that and that's that. And I said, I don't worry about that. I believe if we're seeking God to do what's, what God wants the right way, he's going to meet our needs. He may not meet them the way we think or want him to, but he's promised to do that. I don't have any struggle with that. Some people do. So that kind of faith can be a gift from God. Some people think worry is a spiritual gift. Some people think worry is a spiritual gift. That's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and is it? Look, we need each other, you know, just because you may have the gift of saving faith, but you don't have faith to really, you know, just believe God that he's going to supply your needs. I mean, I've been through building a church debt-free, you know, where we just built it as we got it, and, and that really helped my faith a lot, you know, so I have experience in that, but I think also God's giving me a gift in that area where I just don't worry about that. There are other things I may worry about, but that's not one of them. No. And you, you said earlier that uh, we are given our spiritual gifts at the time of regeneration. Yeah, when spirit moves in, that's when the gifts come with him. Now, they may not be active because you may not be equipped to you know, if, if the gift is teaching, it's going to take you a little while maybe to get up to speed, right? Yes, and I've been under the impression that we could have different spiritual gifts at different times in our lives, depending on what the Lord needed in a particular person, what that person needed to do. I, I don't really find any evidence for that in Scripture. I've heard that before, and I'm not saying that God couldn't do that. I just don't think that's what we'd call normative. Um, I mean, some people believe the Apostle Paul had all the spiritual gifts, but I'm not sure you can make a case that the lists in Scripture are meant to be exhaustive, mm -hmm. that they're indicative of how God gifts us and uses us. So, um, But I don't think he's in the habit of necessarily changing gears on us and saying, okay, you've kind of been a teacher, Jerry, all these years. Now I'm going to turn you into a chaplain and make, give you the gift of mercy. He might... But why? You know, if he's working our sanctification and growing us stronger in these to make the church stronger, it looks like the more we grow in those areas, then, then we become more useful in those areas in the church. I'd hate to think I've spent 30 years trying to get better as a teacher, and now all of a sudden he's going to change the game on me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've got to cash all these chips in and do something else. Yeah, I don't think he did either. He had the gift of a fighting tongue. And, and he, didn't, he didn't have the gift of pretty either. They say he was ugly. He knew how to be merciful. I'm going to turn this off. This is getting out of hand.